yeah, I think we know basically um, what we're doing, right? Just like a little intro for Cupcake Girls, what y'all do. And then really talking about sex work versus trafficking and mm-hmm. causes of trafficking. I think like that's the, the goal, right? Yeah, I love awesome. that. And unfortunately, Alexandria isn't going to be able to make it with us. I was hoping that they would, but... Ah. Really miss my nigga. Um, they had to work last night, so they are sleeping right now. <laughs> no worries. Oh. Whatever works for you all. I mean, yeah, I just saw your Twitter and I was like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's get it started. All right. Yeah, it is recording. So, all right, everybody, welcome back to Swapcast. This is Phoenix, and I am here today with Amy from Cupcake Girls. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, we are so excited because I know lately um, on social media, we've been uh, connecting a lot more like on Twitter and on Instagram and things like that. And really excited to see the turn uh, Cupcake Girls has taken and where y'all are at in terms of helping sex workers. So I'm super excited to get to talk to you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your org does? Yeah, so the Cupcake Girls is in the prevention and aftercare of sex trafficking. And essentially what that means is we provide services to folks who are in the sex industry. So maybe they have been in the sex industry for a really long time, um, or maybe they've been in the sex industry for a few days. But we really want to make sure that they have access to confidential support and resources. We've heard... um, like essentially what that can look like is we've heard really horror stories from folks where they've been telling us that, you know, they haven't been to a dentist in like three years because the last time that they went, they were assaulted because somebody recognized them from a porn that they had done in the past and considered it to be conditional consent. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've heard stories about people taking their kiddos to the pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And then the pediatrician um, hears from one of the kiddos that, you know, mama does spicy work and Mm -hmm. the uh, pediatrician calls CPS. And so what we do is we partner with folks who are sex worker friendly. So doctors, dentists, lawyers, daycare providers, auto mechanics, Mm -hmm. we ask them like a series of questions, make sure that they're sex worker friendly, and then ask them if they would consider giving a discounted or pro bono rate to our participants. Mm -hmm. And then we turn around and we offer that to our participants. It's like a really, really cool experience. And at the root of who the Cupcake Girls are, we are an anti-trafficking organization. And so we work a lot with um, people that are currently being sex trafficked, Mm -hmm. as well as people who are trying to exit sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. So folks don't have to leave their pimps or report their pimps in order to... um, in order to get services from us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important distinction because what a lot of folks don't realize or maybe try to understand is that the majority of people who are being trafficked, they're being trafficked by people that they know really, really well, like their partners, Mm -hmm. um, their family members. I mean, we have people that are being trafficked by their aunties, uncles, things like that. It is the nightmare next door that you don't even realize is happening. Human trafficking or sex slavery can happen anywhere in any neighborhood. Today, our Paula Tutman met a survivor who says there are signs you could notice and maybe help save someone like her. 
So this is Wayne Road and this is Michigan Ave. I'm in Wayne, Michigan. And you can see there's a library down there. Little girl walked by that library to get to school. Her house isn't far from here. Her name is Devon and at 31 years old, she will tell you that a pimp doesn't necessarily wear a big hat with a feather. The pedophile is not just a 40-year-old man living with mom in the basement. Sometimes a sex trafficker looks like family her family. I was sold at 12, almost 13, um, by my mother to my sister and my brother-in-law from Kentucky to Michigan. From the age of 12, Devon grew up in this neighborhood in Wayne. She went to school, had friends, kept a secret. My brother-in-law was selling me to men who would come to the home. Um, from our house, I was going to school, I had friends, and I was still being sold from inside my home. And so we really want to make sure that people have access to safety by not asking them to report their pimps. And um, it, it's been really, really beautiful because sometimes even I think that like for me as a domestic violence survivor, when people were saying like, oh, your partner's the problem, your partner's the problem, or like trying to get me to leave my partner, they became the problem, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't it wasn't about my situation anymore. Now it becomes about my partner. And so it's really, really um, interesting what can happen, trust that can be built with people when you aren't forcing them to do anything, but you're just yeah. saying like, what do you need? What yeah. do you want? Um, yeah. So we give out different things. We have an advocacy service, referral service, free support groups. We gave out over uh, $97,000 in financial grants last year, and that's cash grants to participants. Um, but our team of leaders, mentors, advocates, volunteers, and partners, we provide diverse support with an emphasis on empowering our program participants in their pursuits to become mentally, emotionally, physically, um, financially, and relationally balanced and, and thriving, essentially. Mm -hmm. No, that's I'm really uh, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because what you're doing is absolutely amazing. And, you know, as you said, it really is important to give people the freedom to be able to come to you for services without right. putting demands on them. Like it reminds me a lot of uh, I remember. Um, well, I don't know if it's in your state, but uh, when I was living in Illinois, a big thing was um, for domestic violence situations. If the police got called, it was like a mandatory arrest for someone. Right. And then, like, it started, people started realizing, oh, that actually backfires because now even though, um, you know, the partner is abusive, they're also the breadwinner. So, like, now right. the person who's, like, you know, the, the person who was victimized who's still left at home can't pay rent now or they can't right. buy groceries or they can't put gas in their car. To, you know what I mean? So, yeah, right. it really, um, yeah, it really does, like, remind me of that and how using um, this idea of almost, like, involving the police or involving the state or those type of options is really not helpful in the long run in terms of creating, like, long-lasting relationships and bonds with people and community trust. It's just... So thank you for saying that because I, sometimes I feel like I'm just kind of screaming in the void when I say these things, oh. you know? No, and I think you brought up a really good point. <laughs> the majority of our participants, they've actually been assaulted by cops. Mm -hmm. um, and so we actually don't work with cops. We... You know, if our participants are wanting us to call the cops, that's the only time that we do it. It's by their request explicitly. And and we're not interested in partnering with them just because there's been so much trauma there. And we mm -hmm. want to make sure that we support our participants and the growth that they are really working to achieve. We want to make sure that we're supporting that. But in our favorite world, we're envisioning a world where sex trafficking is eradicated and consensual sex workers are safe and empowered. Yes. That's it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, there's my voice on uh, uh, something that I used to do. Uh, it, 
some years ago was uh, with my social media following and podcasting. I would link folks to uh, like queer youth shelters and things like that. Mm. Like, oh, you can help these folks out. Send a donation here. You know, if you, you know, volunteer to help if you're in that city. But since about early 2021 or so, I've stopped that because of the increase in political terrorism. Like if Mm. I link a queer youth shelter Mm -hmm. to my 100,000 follower Facebook page, some of those right-wing trolls might find it and go there and harm them. Mm-hmm. Right. With these businesses that are sex worker friendly, is it all right to have their information public? Can you name any of them or should that be kept in house? After LGBTQ friendly signs were vandalized at her business in Chippewa Falls, a queer business owner is voicing her concerns. Katrina Lim shares how her experience is not an isolated incident. The kids were super upset, and I told them we're going to rise above. Signs that say hate has no home here or all are welcome with the pride flag as the background are usually displayed outside of String Theory Studio in Chippewa Falls. But in late January, one of them was gone. We came home from school, and my kids noticed that our sign was missing from the front of the store. We found it about, um, you know, 10 yards away in a snowbank, all shattered and broken. It was very clearly intentionally broken. String Theory is a queer and trans-owned business, and co-owner Katie Bushman says this is the third time it's happened. Each time it's been a little bit different. Sometimes slurs have been written on the sidewalk. Bushman says it's not just her signs that have been targeted. She says more than 30 customers have returned to the store to buy new signs after theirs were vandalized as well. I worry more about the individuals in our community who see the signs being broken and see the damage or read the things on the sidewalk that are written and what message that sends to them and whether they are welcome in our community, which we want them to know 100% that there are people here who support them. If a sign is damaged, String Theory offers a free replacement. The Chippewa Valley LGBTQ plus community center did a survey in 2021 and respondents said they do feel safe in their community but it depended on where. ABC 7 Chicago and ABC 18 Chippewa Falls. Neighbors in Geneva are using the holiday today for a labor of love. Neighbors of the group Belong Fox Valley spent the day repainting a fire hydrant that was painted over by someone. That hydrant, painted in honor of LGBTQ plus pride, is part of the city's Art on Fire program. And it was first painted back in June. This is now the seventh time that hydrant has been repainted because of vandalism, and there has only been one arrest. That is a wonderful, wonderful topic. Okay, so we keep all of our business partners confidential unless they ask to be public for a few reasons. The reason that you mentioned is huge. People aren't interested in facing discrimination for their business. And until sex work is decriminalized, they don't have safety. Um, They don't have safety because of the stigma, because of the way that society looks at sex workers and sex work. Um, and even the way that society looks at trafficking. I mean, mm-hmm. we are still seeing people that are arrested for sex trafficking all over the United States, including in the state that I'm in, in Nevada, um, where people are, are rescued from trafficking situations and yet put in handcuffs, put in the back of a police car, sent to jail and, and booked. Well, and so I think that Nevada. like the, the point that you're making is really, really important here. Um, we have referral services 
that um, we give out to folks and they are public. So we have hundreds of those that people, um, they've said, yep, I want my, my service to be public. And, and those services are, and we do not gatekeep those at all. Um, and then the professional partners that have asked for privacy, unless we're sending them a program participant ourselves, and they've been vetted um, to be a program participant, then, then we're able to um, send folks their way. But we do try to keep most of the partner information confidential for the exact reasons that you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so unfortunate to me, too, that that is like such a risk. And I think it's uh, important too to talk about how in terms of, um, you know, sex work and sex trafficking, those things are constantly conflated. <laughs> I did. I had to make that Twitter thread yesterday. I couldn't yeah. take the um, I, I could not deal with the response from Exodus Cry uh, yesterday on Twitter when they were saying yeah. no, because we looked at the data and it shows that when it's decriminalized and then like the study is like in countries where it's been legalized, I was like, these are not the same model. Yeah. Um, it just, ah, oh, it's like such a pet peeve of mine, but also is really important to speak on because if you don't know the differences between legalization and decriminalization, then ultimately you're going to harm both sex workers and people who are experiencing trafficking right now. Right. Simply right. because, you know, we need um, very distinct terms and because these are very distinct concepts, you know, it's, um, and like, let's face it, a lot of the anti-trafficking movement is very religious and very right wing. And a lot of it, um, does sort of, it's similar to me, almost like with abortion, how they'll like be like, abortion is bad. Abortion is immoral. But then, you know, if the right woman gets pregnant under the right circumstances and has to have, you know, like a D and C suddenly that's not an abortion somehow. And it's like, okay, but you know, this, um, their ability to just play with words and uh, ascribe meanings to things. So, um, when we talk about sex work versus trafficking, right. Um, in a very general sense, everyone has to work under capitalism because you will starve to death. If you don't, you will be homeless. If you don't right? Everyone has to work. So first of all, like, let's get that clear. And that's a problem too. Like we really should probably be addressing that. Um, but that's very different from trafficking. One, uh, a lot of the hallmarks of trafficking are that you are not necessarily allowed uh, freedom of movement. You can't leave where you are. Someone is taking um, the money you make, whether that's uh, some of it or all of it, forcibly, um, possibly holding on to your legal documents to prevent you from uh, leaving, right? Like visas, ID cards, social security uh, cards, things that's like it. that. You know, yep. and so that is a very different situation than someone who says okay but i still have to go to work and make this money and sex work is what i do that's still um a very different thing than sex trafficking and it's very frustrating to me too sorry i'm all like on a tangent now i Um, love it you're speaking (laughs) truth but it's also like very frustrating to me that for some reason like sex work is the only um like sort of industry where people refuse to understand this nuance, right? Because there's tons of uh, labor trafficking in agriculture, in hospitality, um, in fashion industries, right? Like we all know about garment sweatshops. We know those exist, but no one says, uh, it's not assumed that if you say I work in fashion, they're like, oh, so you're, you know, um, a slave in a garment factory somewhere, you know, like there's still, people are still allowed to have that nuance. If someone says I'm a farmer, someone isn't going to say, oh, well then obviously you're a victim of labor trafficking because there's a lot of trafficking in agriculture. If someone says I work as a maiden hotel, the automatic assumption isn't, well, you obviously are trafficked because there is a lot of trafficking in that industry. Yet when someone says I'm a sex worker, it's like, well, you obviously have a pimp and he beats you and locks you in a hotel room and you have sex with like 85 men a day type thing and it's like how did this happen it's so frustrating to me 85 they will say anything look i'm 
I'm old enough to remember the Somali mom. I'm old enough to remember Somali mom with the whole eye thing with, I don't know if you know that story about Somali mom, but. Um, tell me, tell us. Okay. Do you know who Somali mom is? First of all. Well, first of all, does the public, right? Like yes. they don't know what you're talking about. Tell yes. them what's up right now. So yeah. Somali mom is, uh, was a very well-known um, activist against sex trafficking, um, particularly in South Asia, partnered with Nick Kristoff. Uh, folks in the U.S. might remember Nick Kristoff. He's very pro-sweatshops, which is a weird stance for someone who's anti-sex trafficking, <laughs> but pro-sweatshops. I mean, I don't know. I guess sometimes trafficking is okay, depending on the industry. Um, he was trying to run for governor, I think, of Oregon uh, this, what, like uh, last year or two years ago or so. But anyways, um, Somali mom... In her activism, had a bunch of, uh, you know, girls and young women coming on talking about how they were abused in the sex trade industry. And one of like the most uh, like horrific stories was a young woman who clearly had damage to one of her eyes. And she said that she had gotten stabbed in the eye while she was being kept captive in a brothel and that her eye was just like bleeding and like fucked up her eye was fucked up and that she was forced to continue seeing clients and then it turned out that Somali mom had actually coerced this young woman to lie she had actually uh, had a tumor in her eye as a child and had had surgery to remove it that's why her eye was like that was a result of the surgery wow. yeah and it was like because her because people went back and found her parents they're like did you know this happened to your daughter and her parents were like what are you talking about she had like a she had a tumor in her eye she didn't get stabbed in the eye by a man what do you wow. so yeah it was just like some really blatant lying but somali mom had her convinced that like if she didn't go on and say that that she was hurting other girls and women who were trafficked because it was happening to someone somewhere. Right. And if you don't tell that story that, so it was just, you know, an absolute, absolute mess. Um, ugh, anyways, but yeah, that's, uh, th yeah, that's, <laughs> I think it's really interesting. Like, um, as somebody who was raised in, um, Christian culture, the, uh, I think that I have like, this interesting like perspective be about why people are like because I think that the thing that I struggle with so hard sometimes is like why why are you pushing so hard against this mm -hmm. and I've really been thinking about it and you know like um when I was raised there was uh there were like these ceremonies where like um, young girls were given purity rings and oh, like no. um, like being asked to like keep themselves pure until they got married mm -hmm. to whoever was acceptable to the parents, mm -hmm. specifically the fathers, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's this very intense patriarchal culture where women are really kept in submission and they're taught like you are essentially charged with keeping our men pure. Mm -hmm. Like that is your charge. That is your whole thing in life. You are here to support the man and you are here to keep him pure and, um, and yourself pure. And I think it's interesting because, you know, sex work, it really challenges that. It challenges mm -hmm. that idea. And so it challenges their entire way of living mm -hmm. because it's saying like, no, I am free. This yes. makes me free. This gives me choice. And, you know, even if like, like sex work is a job, like any other job, sometimes you like your job. Sometimes you love your job. Sometimes you're looking for other work while you're doing sex work. And sometimes you hate your job. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's super fucking toxic and you got to leave. Right. Yep. But the thing is that like, it's a job. It is a job. And it's how people are supporting themselves and their families. Mm -hmm. And the right wing cannot handle that. 
you know, I'm not saying that all sex workers are women. In fact, like it's pretty split down the middle from um, what I'm seeing at the Cupcake Girls anyway, when it comes to our program participants. We have a lot of people that are male, people that are female, people that are non-binary, like Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty split. There's a lot of folks in the LGBTQ community that are in sex work. Yes. Um, But I think that like the main push and the main frustration from right-wing folks really is like, you are poisoning the well. Like you are moving up against everything that we have said is true and it harms us Mm -hmm. as essentially. And so they take it very, very personally. I mean, even when I was like reviewing, because we were, um, this whole podcast was really spun by that uh, Twitter thing with Exodus Cry. (laughs) And honestly, I was crying the entire time I was tweeting. Mm -hmm. It was just like a very emotional process for me because that man is making so much money Mm -hmm. off of lying to people. Yes. And when I'm looking at the amount of money that people are giving, thinking, you know, those people that are donating, we don't know what their thought process was. Mm -hmm. And let's all assume that they're really trying to end trafficking, right? Right. Well, it's very clearly not doing that. In fact, it's Exodus Cry is very clearly just very Mm anti-industry and not even interested in decreasing sex trafficking. So they're not even paying attention to real data. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, oh, go ahead. Just the lack of integrity. It just like bothers me. Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely agree. And I think a lot of people really don't know because it's a very difficult conversation to have in terms of nuance and um, social awareness, because when the first thing you hear is something like, um, there's girls getting trafficked. There's 15 year olds like being kidnapped and beaten by people. You don't want to be like, well, I have more questions before I give you money. Right. Because now you because now you look like the asshole because you're like, because what kind of person is okay with hearing that, like, you know, teenage girls or young women are out here being kidnapped and trafficked and beaten and raped and, you know, forced to take drugs and things like obviously nobody wants that. But if we want to actually but if we want to actually resolve those problems, we have to understand the root causes of those problems. We have to understand what um, those people actually need to get out of those situations. Just throwing money at it doesn't solve the problem, you know, and going back to what you were saying about sex work being very disruptive to them. It's not only uh, because it's women having sex outside of their designated place in that sort of culture. It's also that women are getting money and finding ways to survive outside of the parameters that are predefined for them outside of that culture. And honestly, and as you said, not all sex workers are women and it's not just women, right? It's also non-binary people. It's also um, queer and gay men who, you know, do sex work as well. So basically people that society has decided um, are almost sort of disposable because they don't fit in, have found a way to survive and sometimes even thrive quite healthily. And that's a problem and they don't like that. I wish I had the quote in front of me and I don't think I'll find it uh, in time. I'll post it on Twitter later. (laughs) I I have it somewhere. But just acknowledging that, um, you know, prostitution is seen as something that women do, but it's subversive because women are getting paid to have sex. So the only true correction to prostitution under sort of patriarchal values is to imprison those women and take the money back. (laughs) 
which is exactly yes. what happens when you get arrested. You get fined and you go to jail. So, that's you know, that's um, a very big part of that whole thing. But ultimately, the issue is that we don't have a society with safety nets. We don't have a universal basic income. We don't have affordable housing. We don't have universal health care. So people have to work. And sometimes sex work is going to be um, what works best for them. You know, I think one of the things that fascinates me when I talk to other sex workers is how many sex workers either have um, like a mental health uh, concern or like a chronic disability or they're a caretaker for someone who does, (laughs) you know, because that's the thing. When you have a physical um, sort of impairment that you can't stand up for, you know, like 10 hours a day, where do you work, right? Because you can't just go to like a factory and get a job because you can't stand up that many hours a day. When you're the primary caregiver for someone who needs a lot of attention because they have a health issue, you need to be able to take time off. You can't necessarily... Uh, work a straight five days a week because someone you're caring for may be sick. And so people don't really consider why uh, folks get into sex work or why it's the best option for them. And again, for the most part, it's because we don't have those social safety nets, you know? So like, yeah, if people want to, you, if people actually want uh, folks out of the sex industry, start providing social services. People will leave. The people who don't enjoy it will be leaving, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) that's, uh, I think- Go ahead. I love that. And, you know, something else that folks don't necessarily talk about all the time is even the safety nets, like with bunny quotes that I'm using, Mm -hmm. um, even the safety nets that we do have, they suck. So bad. They suck. Uh, We have, you know, people that I would say like a very large percentage of Cupcake Girls participants, they are on disability Mm -hmm. and they're also doing sex work because they literally cannot lose their disability but they cannot afford life exactly disability is not enough Mm -hmm. and they can't get a job because if they get a job then they get their 1099s and they or they get a w-2 or anything like Mm -hmm. that then they're making too much money yes and then they lose their disability so now they cannot provide for themselves and their families Mm -hmm. and i think the other interesting thing is they can't get married Mm-hmm. Like people that are on disability, they can't even like get married to their partner. And so like all these things that the right wing is saying, like, do, 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 they literally cannot do exactly. or else they will lose their income. And so they're having to out of necessity, mostly out of desperation, to be mm-hmm. co- totally frank. I've talked to so many people that are like, look, I don't want to do sex work. Mm-hmm. but I cannot get out. Right. This is the only way that I can provide for myself. Look at the price of rent. Mm-hmm. If I don't get this price of rent, if I don't have this price of rent, I don't have a accessible apartment that I can use with my wheelchair. Right. I don't have a safe neighborhood that I can leave my van outside. You know, people mm-hmm. need to have special vehicles <laughs> for their disabilities. And it's just, it is mind blowing to me. I loved what you said. When people are not fitting into the perception that society states as normalized, right? Essentially, I'm like Mm -hmm. reworking your words. Mm -hmm. Then they're like, you don't belong here. We don't want to make a space for you at the table. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a space for everybody at the table. We are all related. We are all family. We have to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. Like literally it drives me up the wall. It's so interesting to me. But I just generally think that... People just don't really care. Yeah. They don't really care about each other. And then there is this like small section of folks that actually have empathy 
and they have understanding because of their lived experience. And we need to be listening to those people. We need to be listening to sex workers. We need to be listening to the LGBTQ community. I always thought it was really interesting because I was at this, um, it was really cute actually, it was called HIVT. <laughs> and everybody brought tea and we just all sat around and um, like switched off, like tasting each other's tea that they had brought and talked about HIV. And there were doctors and scholars and all these people. And somebody said, you know, COVID isn't the first epidemic that the gay community has been through, but nobody wants to talk about it. Right. Why do you think that we don't see a lot of baby boomers around that are gay? Right. Because they died. Mm -hmm. We don't want to talk about the communities that we as a society have not normalized. Well, guess what? We're here and Absolutely. we're not going anywhere. Absolutely. And so I love that, like, I don't know. I just love the community support that we find in each other. Like even you like reaching out on Twitter while I'm literally in tears, like just broken, just broken over the lies yeah. and the harm that's being caused to the people that we love so much. And you're like, nope, let's do this. You know, we're, we're going, we're going to do a podcast. We're, and it was just so empowering to me because I was like, and that's how community works. Exactly. We don't do this alone. We're not in isolation. We find one another, one another. And I guess to anybody that's listening to this podcast, please know this. You are not isolated. You are not alone. This is the lie that society is feeding you. And it's not true. There are so many of us out here that deeply care about you and your way of life. And we want to make sure that you're seen, you're heard, you're supported, and you have resources to be able to achieve whatever goal that you want. And I am so sorry that society has fed you this lie that you are not worthy and you are not enough because you are more than enough. And we love to have you here in humanity. And we can't wait to celebrate and support you. That's literally something that some folks never, ever hear. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. They're just oh, hearing like, you're not right. You don't fit in. You're not enough. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. Like, bullshit. I think it's also important, too, that we talk about, um, when we're talking about sex work, when we're talking about sex trafficking, that we also talking talk about missing, murdered, and indigenous people. Yes. Because I think that like folks that often they think, you know, May 5th is coming up. It's a really, really big day for the indigenous community. Mm -hmm. And often when we're talking about sex trafficking, we're talking about missing, murdered, and indigenous girls. Mm -hmm. And while like it's important to talk about missing and murdered and indigenous girls, that leaves out a vast majority of the population that is two-spirit and men. Mm -hmm. And we really, really need to be highlighting the fact that folks that are indigenous, they do not receive the same services that we do. I was right. just hearing a story from an indigenous person um, that's their sister went missing in Las Vegas and the Las Vegas police said, well, we can't, you know, we can't help because mm -hmm. um, this is an indigenous person. And so they said the reservation had to handle the missing persons case. And the reservation's like, are you kidding me? We don't have any resources in Las exactly. Vegas. What are we supposed to do? And that story is very normal mm -hmm. for the indigenous people. Yes. The amount of sexual assault, the amount of trafficking, the amount of murder that happens to indigenous people, yeah. um, hearing about the amount of missing indigenous men mm -hmm. that um, are in Arizona right now, it's really horrific. Yeah. And so when we're talking about these populations, these pockets of people that are outcasts in society that are said, you know, by the far right, like, you don't belong. You do belong. We see you. We're fighting for you. And, and we really, really want to make sure that we're supporting you in any way that we can. 
Yeah, and I think it's important to note as we talk about that, that like the feelings of um, isolation are very intentionally created by the society, as you said. But, you know, That's the way it. I the way I look at it is as was always like, well, I should talk about what happened to me because odds are I'm actually not the only one. Right. Because with a lot of um, people who are abusers, they tend to be serial abusers. They don't just abuse one person. And I was like, so if I've been a victim of something, I can't be the only one. And then all of a sudden I start looking around and I was like, that happened to you, too. You right. too? That happened to me. And it was suddenly, you know, this um, really wild way to find connections with people um, because we are oftentimes, even though we come from um, maybe different backgrounds or different groups or different demographics, we are oftentimes um, marginalized or oppressed by like the same sort of entities with the same sort of concept, right? So like right. the same police who refuse to investigate when indigenous people go missing are the same police who refuse to investigate when black people go missing, right? There you, you know go. What I'm saying? They're the same people who refuse to investigate when trans people go missing or non-binary people or, you know, like non-gender um, conforming people go missing, right? It's the same police who are, um, you know, ignoring all of us, right? Which are also the same police who tend to write off things like um, sexual assault and domestic violence instances, right? right? So it's like, even though we're coming from, um, you know, maybe different backgrounds and different um, stories, at the same time, in a way, we're all connected because we're all living um, under a system that sees us all as sort of disposable and subhuman in a way, right? But that also gives us a beautiful opportunity to create community out of that because there are so many groups that have so much to say and have so much to give and have so much information to share with each other. The amount of information that um, these communities have been able to share with each other is just positively invaluable. Like it's, it, it's beyond measure. And so, yeah, I think that there's also um, always that takeaway of having a little bit of hope with it, you know? You can't dismiss that hope. Like we have a common ground among us, like let's use it. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, hey, I have a comment question um, topic that I would really love your take on. Yes. What do you think about the war on porn and all of this false data rolling around? <laughs> um, I, I mean, <laughs> I love you so much. What do you think of like all the false data that says like um, that porn causes sexual assault, that porn causes you know, all of these things, like, uh, I think it's honestly just misogyny and classism for the most part, um, because ultimately if you're blaming porn, so I, cause I want to break down what that really means when you say, uh, or not you, but like when they say that porn causes rape or sexual violence. So what you're saying is if a man sees a woman having sex, he will go assault another woman. Like how there's nothing you can't blame on women if you if you try hard enough, because let's face it, that's what they really mean is that because some women aren't being chased enough or whatever the fuck that means, that suddenly all women are deserving of abuse. But it's also setting up a lie that if we end porn, that these sort of things won't happen anymore. And that's 100 percent not true, because really what this is about is stripping autonomy, um, particularly from women. And like, let's face it. They just want to eradicate eradicate gay people altogether, especially gay men, queer men, you know, um, like that they would be perfectly fine with that. But, um, you know, that is their thing is that they are finding reasons to blame everyone else for their bad behavior, even though we know that they are the only people in control of their behavior. Right. Like whether you've seen porn or not, it's up to you whether you put your hands on somebody else. 
you know? And I think a big part of it too, that is always fascinating to me is what people will blame socially, right? I've heard video games cause violence, rap music causes violence, porn causes violence. I've never heard people really talk about how churches cause violence. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is it tea time already? Because let's talk about the amount of pastors out here touching their congregants, being inappropriate with their congregants, telling um, parishioners to just pray when they're in um, domestic violence situations. If you just pray hard enough and leave it in God's hands, right? Not to mention um, the actual bills and um, the types of political activity that a lot of these churches are funding as well, right? Um, a lot of cons for some reason, despite hearing all these stories about Jesus, you know, with the fishes and the loaves and the Beatitudes, what I'm hearing a lot of conservative Christians, once they have any sort of political power, is uh, what are they doing right now? Loosening child re uh, child labor law regulations. What are right. they doing? Trying to cut food stamps, cut people off Medicare, um, right. deny prenatal care, like. So, no, you don't actually care about people. You don't actually care about safety because the biggest thing that keeps people unsafe is poverty, right? Right. Poverty is the biggest thing. So if, you know, these groups actually wanted to help, they would be focusing on poverty instead of focusing on, you know, something like porn. But ultimately, the only reason that they want to ban porn, the only reason they want to ban sex work is because they think that everyone should be forced into a very conservative Christian sexual lifestyle where you only have sex once you get married. You don't use birth control. You never have an abortion. If you die in pregnancy, you die. It's God's will. Um, you know, you can uh, send your, your sons to um, uh, conversion therapy if you think they're gay to make them straight so they can get married and give you grandkids. But, you know, that's really what it is about is autonomy. And I think that's a big part that we don't really address with right wingers. It's easy to be like, oh, well, they're, you know, homophobic or they're anti-immigrant or they're misogynistic. And all those things are true. Right. But in particular, the way that they enforce their social order is to strip autonomy from anyone they see as beneath them right right and so like in their mindset pretty much anyone who is not a somewhat wealthy cis hetero able-bodied white man is beneath them right. so it's very easy for them to go and say that okay women unless <laughs> unless they're not able-bodied because they got themselves hurt in war yes or with a gun yes yeah, absolutely. And so, like, it's sort of uh, we have this system now where they'll be like, well, you know, I'm going to exert my authority by taking away your autonomy. Like, mm. that's how they function, you know. And so that's why we have this whole like, well, uh, it's if we take away your autonomy and don't let anyone do porn, then we'll pretend you'll be safe. Right. But if that's the same thing as uh, how they pretend that um if you don't what was it uh that i forgot his name now who was that senator years ago who was like if you get raped your body just shuts it down right uh, todd aiken todd aiken right that um so you know they're constantly lying and offering safety but ultimately they're the ones that we need to be safe from you yeah. know and so i think that that's like a big part of the conversation that people don't really address is what? that the stripping of autonomy is their ultimate goal you're saying there should be freedom of religion and freedom from religion that is exactly what i'm that saying that doesn't sound like america <laughs> what's exactly interesting what like uh people they'll bring me in to do these uh it's so interesting to me people are like can you come in and can you train us <clears throat> on human trafficking mm -hmm. or on sex trafficking and so we do like i do trainings and i start off the trainings by explaining why i got into this work, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, when I was a young teenager, 
I was, um, I was homeschooled my whole life. And one of my first friends outside of our church and my family was, um, a young girl at a, at a bookstore that I was working at Mm -hmm. and I was 16 years old. And she let me know that she was being sexually assaulted by two police officers in our town. Mm -hmm. And, um, she was a sex worker or is a sex worker. I'm actually not sure we've lost touch, but regardless. So she let me know that she was being assaulted. And I was like, my dad's a retired major in the army. So I was like, well, let's go to the police. Let's Mm -hmm. tell them. And so we went to the police and we filed a report and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And then she built up enough self-determination and self-empowerment where she was able to start sharing her story. And 12 other people came forward, all sex workers or trafficking survivors that were being assaulted by the exact same officers in Eugene, Oregon, Roger Manjana and Juan Francisco Lara. And, you know, they're in prison right now and they received, you know, whatever they, and I, I have a lot of thoughts about the prison industrial complex too, but they're in prison right now. But the thing is that like that mentality of how we treat sex workers and trafficking survivors, it didn't Mm -hmm. change because we're still seeing in Eugene, Oregon, as well as all over the United States where officers are doing the exact same thing. You know, I'd say, yeah, yeah. it's an issue with like the police. It's an issue with cops. Mm -hmm. It's an issue with lack of accountability, you know, and, and if we're not handling that, then we're going to continue to harm people. But I always say, I'll tell that story. And then I go into, you know, the root causes of trafficking. It's not people buying sex and it's not sex work. It's capitalism, Mm -hmm. colonialism, the Mm -hmm. patriarchy and racism. And we're seeing it play out in large ways, medium ways, and small ways. Yep. Macro, micro ways. And I think that we're not talking about that enough. No, I'm not talking about the systemic ways that we're breeding harm. Yep. No, I agree a hundred percent. And I take that personally too, because I've had some incidents with Chicago police when I was working outdoors. None of them were good. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but again, you know, it is what it was. Um, but you know, I think ultimately, as you pointed out with your story, that as soon as someone came forward, 12 other people came forward and it's the same thing, you know, to reiterate, to iterate what I was saying earlier is that, you know, yeah, I wanted to talk about it because I knew I could not possibly be the only one. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you realize it's happening everywhere all the time. And then that really starts making you think, okay, this really is like a systemic problem. This isn't just one city. This isn't just one police department. This isn't just, um, you know, one neighborhood. Like, this is a systemic problem on a global level, you know, and that is important to, like, really consider because now if you do have someone who's in a traffic in a trafficking situation and they can't trust police, where do they go? What are they supposed to do? You know, and then um, even, you know, situations where uh, police are just coming in to basically be assholes really right Right. um because we have uh i'm sure you know who um uh who is it uh what's her name tara from alaska um she's like a relatively well-known activist in uh, sex work circles but she actually went to prison on a trafficking charge for trafficking herself right like right that was wild how the fuck (laughs) and so you know 
it's like those sort of things. And, you know, as we tie into all these like social and inequalities, it's like, how do we fight back against this? And I really do think it's important to talk about the capitalism because the poverty is a huge factor. It makes people unsafe. It makes people forced to take risks that they wouldn't normally take. It forces people to be in situations they wouldn't normally be in. It forces people um, to deal with situations that they can't get out of because right. of capitalism, which is strongly reinforced by misogyny and homophobia and racism and all these things in order to keep a basically the permanent underclass of people who, um, quote unquote, deserve to be abused or deserve to be treated as less than because they aren't like rich white men, you know, right. and like that's really where a lot of this comes from. And that is the root of trafficking. It's not. Um, because porn exists, trafficking exists. It's not because sex workers exist, trafficking exists. Trafficking exists because there's bad people who are willing to traffic other humans. And because right. it's, are desperate. it's the foundation of America. Read Christopher Columbus's diary. The first Ugh. thing he did was traffic. Actually, yeah. The, yeah, the first thing he did was kidnap a bunch of Taino children and sell them as sex slaves in Europe. So, yeah. Rape slaves. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, but... Um, you know, I think that that's really um, important to talk about is how people end up in these situations where they are being abused or they're being trafficked or even um, if it's just they're just doing sex work and just want to get out but can't find a way to. It's all these other things. There's so much able like I, I, I don't even know if you saw it, but I made a tweet the other day when it was like post your spicy sex work take. And it's like if you don't support sex workers, I know you have a lot of racism, misogyny, homophobia and ableism in your system. You just do. Because sex workers are so um, over overrepresented in those communities, and that's why they're sex workers, or that's how they ended up in trafficking situations, depending on an individual circumstance, because society deemed them as less deserving of safety, rights, and security because they were in those groups, and this is what it leads to. Like, right? Seriously, social services and, and poverty. Like, it would put such a dent in trafficking, and people still refuse. One thing I did want to say because somebody. Um, somebody just tweeted again, uh, saying on that thread that we're on, um, well, sex work is decriminalized in Germany and we've seen it cause all sorts of problems. And I was like, actually, sex work is not decriminalized in Germany. It's legalized. Could we explain quickly the difference between decriminalizing sex work and legalizing sex work? Do you okay. want to explain that to the public? Absolutely. So decriminalizing <laughs> is re is removing um, criminal penalties and um, also punishments for sex workers for doing sex work. People assume that means legalization, but legalization is actually a completely different model. Under right. legalization, um, essentially a government entity tells you uh, how you can work. And I compare it a lot to uh, marijuana legalization in the United States, right? So a lot of states have it legal, but um, in order to have it, you may still have to have like your medical marijuana card or you can only possess a certain amount. Like even like right right now I'm in a state where it's legal, but I cannot walk around, I think with more than like an ounce or something at a time. So if I have five ounces, I'm still doing something illegal because I am operating outside the legal guidelines that the government has set, right? That's what legalization is. Decriminalization means that the government will not be fucking with you in any capacity on it. And so I think that people get confused about that. But the big difference is that, again, under legal models, and we've seen it, that you might have to pay licensing fees. You can only work certain days or certain days of the week or certain times of the day. You can only work in certain districts. Um, you know, there's certain places that have brothels that won't hire you. You're only allowed to work in a brothel 
but brothels may not hire you, you know? So it's like right. th there's all these barriers that even though it's legal, you may not be able to work legally. So you're still at risk of criminal punishment, um, you know, police surveillance, jail time, fines, arrest, those sort of things. What we're pushing for is a full decrim model where if you are um, offering or selling sexual services, you can't be penalized for that. But that right. does not mean that it's decriminalizing human trafficking. That's such a weird argument to me when people are like, well, you're decriminalizing pimps then. And it's like, just because weed is legal doesn't mean that now like I can legally be forced to be a drug mule, okay? Like, what are you, <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, I don't even understand this argument. So that's not what that means. It's not decriminalizing trafficking. It's not um, decriminalizing abuse of sex workers, right? So if um, a sex worker did see someone and that person abused a sex worker, um, that's still illegal. But the whole goal is that sex workers themselves will not be punished. And not just in terms of being arrested or going to jail or paying fines, but also in other punitive ways as well. Like, for example, under the Nordic model, it's illegal to rent to a sex worker. So it's not illegal to be a sex worker, but it's illegal to rent an apartment if you are one. The math ain't mathing on that because now you're homeless and now you're I at more risk and more danger. That's really, really interesting. So like something that um, comes up a lot, and I think that most people, I think most people, once they're educated, they will support decriminalizing sex work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that when it comes to how to have conversations with people that are completely opposed to decriminalization, not because they're uneducated on what it is, maybe they are, right? As we're seeing on Twitter and in our day-to-day -day lives as we um, combat this, but um, most people just don't have the information in order to have an educated argument with folks yes. who are opposing them. So a few like arguments that we hear a lot are, um, and, and maybe you can pipe in too, is um, that legalization is safer because it uh, puts the Johns or the customers of sex works, of sex workers, um, it puts them in penalties way, but it doesn't put the sex workers in penalties way. And I think it's interesting because when we're talking about that, it's important to remember that when you're criminalizing sex workers' customers, you're actually also criminalizing sex workers Yes. for multiple reasons. One, you're assuming that sex workers are not also customers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not often the case. Most sex workers are actually also customers, um, which people don't realize. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other piece is that alongside that idea when we are putting limitations on a customer and the sex worker is saying like hey i want you to use a condom or hey this is my rate or mm -hmm. whatever and the customer starts acting weird we're not sure like is the customer acting weird because they're like a scary person mm -hmm. and like they're gonna hurt me mm -hmm. or is the customer acting weird because they're scared of the police showing up right and they're not sure you know what to do in this situation it also makes it harder for folks to background check their customers yes and it makes it harder for them to understand if the person's going to hurt them or mm -hmm. going to traffic them or going to pay them um and so it actually creates more limitations on mm -hmm. the sex worker so again the the um nordic model or the mm -hmm. model where we're criminalizing the customer mm -hmm. um it actually harms sex workers yes. and i i don't think that people understand that and i also just want to add real quickly to that too um and even under the nordic model they claim that sex workers aren't criminalized only clients are 
but because all the other sex work crimes are still on the books, sex workers are actually criminalized in other ways. So for example, like if you have two sex workers who happen to be living together and working together, they can be charged with brothel keeping and essentially mm -hmm. pimping each other out, right? Yep. So obviously that's not the intent of that law, but because it's not a full decrim, which is what we're pushing for, because it's not full decrim, it's a legal, uh, a partial legal model, you know, you're still at risk for that. And then also the biggest thing for me, especially coming from my own personal experiences as someone who's been black in America my whole life, I don't want more police surveillance on me because that's the mm. thing. Because when clients are criminalized, the clients are committing a crime. So what do police do? They follow the criminals to where I work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's and uh, under countries that have the Nordic model, there's um, a lot of examples of police following sex workers, of police outing sex workers, um, of police recording sex workers with their clients as evidence. Because remember, you're not committing a crime as a sex worker, but your client is. So police can still film you and record you because someone in the room is still technically committing a crime. You know, so I don't think people have really considered those sort of implications with the model. And, you know, to say like, you know, you can't rent to a sex worker because your landlord can be charged with pimping you out. Um, or living off the proceeds of prostitution. So like now you're at risk of being homeless. Um, you're at risk. You're still at risk of having your children taken away by child services because you're still considered to be an unfit parent if you're doing sex work, right? You still have the police state surveillance on you. You're still being followed by police. You can still get called to court to testify against your clients, a fucking mandatory court summons to go to court and testify. And now you have to be out as a public sex worker because you had to go to court to testify. There it is. Like technically, yeah, you didn't get arrested, but I'm not going to say that you aren't being punished. And that's a right. big thing for me when I talk about decrim versus Nordic model versus legal models is I don't just say arrested. I say not punished. Yeah. Right. Because not every punishment is an arrest or jail time. Well, I really appreciate this. I feel like we should have a part two, to be honest. And really, we should. you know what I think would be interesting is if we... Um, if we really go into what are the arguments that people have, like what are the actual questions, the things that people have, and then you and I just go back and forth on how to respond to them. Because I think that like the majority of people, like I said, once they start to understand that the arguments are just flawed, they're just mm -hmm. so flawed, but also the people that are starting to understand how to um, support the um, decriminalization movement, that way they have words to use and they have education in order to combat mm -hmm. these really bad arguments from these bad actors. Yes. I think that that would be really, really helpful for a lot of the community. I totally support okay, that. Okay, so, uh, so Cupcake returns uh, right now, date and time undetermined, an episode <laughs> uh, specifically about um, countering arguments. I love it. Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> All right. Yes. I support it. Hey, I just love what Swap USA is doing. I fully support you all. I think that it's really, really, really important that we support sex worker run organizations as an anti-trafficking organization. I understand and, and really, really believe um, after my years of experience with working with sex workers and trafficking survivors since 2006, that the best way that we can combat sex trafficking is by partnering with sex workers. And so I just want to really thank you for your time and just everything that you brought to the table and inviting me on. It's been such a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you.
www.thecupcakegirls.org. Please drop a monthly donation in there. And please, please also drop a monthly donation to SWAP. They're amazing and they're doing amazing work in our communities. Thank you.